Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST app, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 14 in our series for 2019, and today's date is Friday, May the 3rd. First, I talk to Rob Lambert, the CEO of Flowers Across Australia. It's a fascinating company. The team behind Flowers Across Australia, who set out to completely disrupt the flower industry 10 years ago, announced it had quadrupled the size of their business in five years, averaging a growth of 42% year-on-year in that time, and they now employ 40 staff. The directors are a married couple, Rob being the tech e-commerce genius who taught himself to code, and his wife Nadina, a florist. Flowers across Melbourne are one of the biggest florists in Melbourne and have one of the largest ranges of flower and plants in Australia. The team has sent out more than 300,000 bouquets and arrangements since its inception. They have two sister companies based in Melbourne, Plants Across Melbourne and Hampers Across Melbourne, as well as a branch in Sydney called Flowers Across Sydney. As well as managing the four e-commerce website, Rob has also custom-built his own app, which tracks employee KPIs and happiness via the iPads that all the florists use across the company. And then I'll be talking to Indeed economist Callum Pickering, analysing Australia's zero-level CPI, what it says about the economy and what it means for the RBA. But first, let's talk to Rob Lambert. 
Rob Lambert, you set up flowers across Australia 10 years ago to disrupt the flower industry, and you've done that through AI. Tell us about it. How does that work? Uh, AI? Well, that's... Uh... That's a recent development, to be honest, uh, on the AI front, at least. We've been using uh, sentiment analysis from our customers, uh, trying to understand when they send us reviews, uh, because we always use a continuous improvement model to make ourselves better and listen to our customers and try and understand what they want, uh, what they don't like, what they do like, and building that back into the process. So at the moment, we're just experimenting with sentiment analysis from AI to understand whether people have a positive view of what we're doing or a negative view. So, and then trying to understand from that, extracting the information uh, as needed so we can build back into our, uh, our business to make but, it uh, But you, you've, you've created your own app, haven't you? And yep. uh, uh, from scratch. And yes. um, it's a KPI tool. I believe. And uh, florists uh, need to make a bouquet within a specific time. Uh, uh, and they get their order from an iPad. They certainly do, yeah. So we built, uh, we figured the florist industry is very, at least when we started, when I started building the app, it was very old school. So there's none of that kind of stuff going on. So we wanted to make it uh, run better, run more smoothly, like less mistakes. So we started building that, uh, the app itself, started building in KPIs. And yeah, we've, every florist on the floor has, a, has an iPad. We batch process orders. We, we have an automated system to give them the most urgent orders. The system itself understands uh, when the next driver is coming in and when that arrangement needs to go out so that it will, uh, a florist can click a button and they'll get all the, the relevant orders so that they go out with the, uh, with the nearest courier. So the, the machine is doing it all in the background. Is trying to understand what's who should I give this uh, this arrangement to because we have different levels of floristry as well. So we have more skilled florists and florists coming through coming up the ranks. So the system knows, okay, well this is a harder arrangement, so I'll, I'll have to give this to this particular florist. But at the same time, uh, I need it out the door with this driver, so we'll send that florist like two or three arrangements so that that they can handle. It knows that they can handle that, and yeah, and send and. Automate, automatically gives it to them. And uh, you're based, you're, you've got an operation in Melbourne and Sydney. Yes. And so you send flowers right across Melbourne and Sydney? Yep, absolutely. So uh, it's probably roughly about a 20 to 25k radius um, around each city we send uh, flowers out to. And the reason why we do that is primarily because we wanted to get away from what's in the industry called a relay type system where uh, typically, if you get an order in from uh, online, uh, many relay companies will send that over to a, an affiliate florist. That florist might be great. That might be maybe not so great. So we wanted to cut that out and we wanted to control the, uh, the process because we felt that there wasn't necessarily a great experience for people. If I've ordered something and it doesn't really look like the picture, you know, when the person got it, then that's not a good experience. Because uh, because uh, relay, the relay system is you'd lose a florist, another florist, yeah, in another location. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, that florist mightn't be as good. That's right, yeah. So what happens? How, how do I order? Do I order it online? Absolutely. So the main place that people order is online. Some people do order over the phone, but 95% of our orders will be 
uh, online through the website. And it's pretty simple. We try to make it as simple as possible. You can get it done within about three steps and probably within about five minutes if you're, if you're in a bit of a hurry. So, And, and, it's, and it's gifting, yes. isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. We're, we've concentrated on the gifting market. And, you know, that's what we try to do to be best at doing is making sure that uh, if somebody wants to send a gift, we can connect them with that person through very efficient delivery, very efficient methods in terms of um, our floristry and our floristry skills, you know, and getting them out as quickly as possible. We know that customers, from their own feedback, love getting something, uh, you know, they, they're sitting waiting by the phone thinking, I've done a great thing today. I've sent my friend some beautiful flowers. It's their birthday. And the person at the other end is going to be excited by that when they get those flowers. But equally, you know, if you're the ones sending that, you're going to feel pretty good about that at the same time. So you're kind of waiting for that thank you to come through. So we want to deliver that as quickly as possible. Now, what's interesting here is you also uh, provide, you also have hampers. So you provide not only flowers, but you provide wine and teddy bears and yeah. uh, candles and all of that stuff as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, it makes a lot of sense because we've got the logistical ability to be able to do that. And uh, in-house, we've got the capability to do that and we've got the space. So Hampers seems like a logical next step for us to be able to go into and be able to offer that for for customers. Uh, because somebody, not everybody wants flowers all the time. There's different occasions and a hamper might be more appropriate. So, But if we can you know, keep our reputation up from our flowers over and convert that over to the hampers side, doing that really well as well, then, you know, people will trust us to do the right thing. And and, and how has the business grown? I mean, uh, over the 10 years? Uh, it's grown uh, primarily, I mean, it's grown in leaps and bounds. And, uh, you know, over the years, it's kind of something crazy, like 40 plus percent. Quadrupled. Yeah, it's been, uh, yeah, it's been bigger, bigger and bigger, which uh, is a good problem to have can't say otherwise but uh primarily it's grown when we first started it we started the website uh with google adwords in mind to be honest so we were looking at that uh, medium we had a uh we had a bricks and mortar store that had a website and it was pretty clunky pretty clunky website it was um but we were starting to experiment with google ads and we were thinking hey this is kind of this is kind of good i can put this i can put this advert out there and people will click on it they'll come in and they and they actually buy things so I think I can make this work a little bit better. So we built Flowers Across Melbourne with, uh, with one of the purposes being we knew that AdWords was a good uh, avenue to get more, more customers uh, through the door more quickly. So we've got it with that in mind. Uh, it's since evolved from there, but we still you know, have a big budget in, on the ad side, particularly uh, Google Ads. Obviously, we've gone and branched into Facebook, and there's a lot of SEO going on as well. So, uh, But that's where we started the growth from it, it was trying to base it on, on ads itself. And you've come at this business not as a florist, but as a coder. Yes, correct. So I'm in the lucky spot that um, my partner, Nadina, she is uh, an amazing florist. And it kind of fits that it, it makes a good partnership, I think, because I do the technical side. I'm able to build the website. I'm able to do them on the marketing side. I because we started out with ads, I became a qualified AdWords person as well. And, and uh, so on the technical side, I could handle that. I could make the systems um, easier. So we create bespoke systems for our florists, our deliveries, our drivers, our CX team or our customer experience team. 
So there's because it's all built in house, it means everything's really efficient. There's not really anything that shouldn't be there. Or you know, if we want something, if the if the team ask me for something and say, hey, Rob, we need. You know, this would make my life easier. I can build that for them, and I can put it in into the system, and you know, and make everyone's lives easier for them. Hopefully, a little bit. And now you're experimenting with video as well. Yeah, we've just brought video uh, into the picture, which has been really good for us. It's been uh, we've got uh, a couple of really great people, uh, team members that are just yeah, going great guns with it. They're just really taking it. Yeah, and just run with it. So they've they've been creating these great videos. We've just recently put them on the website uh, for the product pages and just seeing what kind of results we're getting back from those. And yeah, the results have been pretty good so far. So. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, that's pretty right. impressive. So, uh, what are your plans for the future? I mean, you you've expanded into Sydney. Yes. Uh, how are you going to keep building the business? I think for in terms of growth, if you're able to, if you want to keep that growth up at those kind of levels, you know, the next phase is kind of Brisbane and Adelaide, and that's the most logical way if you want to keep up those types of um, growth numbers, I guess. But we want to expand uh, outwards. So from the from the services that we offer, we've always said we wanted to be a full service florist, but with the uh, convenience of online. So what that means to us is that. Uh, it should be just like going to your corner florist and asking, hey, I've got an event on, you know, can you help me out? I you know, want some wonderful flowers. We should be able to help you out in that regard and be able to do your events for you, uh, funerals, uh, you know, corporate arrangements, those types of things. So there's plenty of scope within the floristry area itself. There's weddings, all kinds of things. So we've got that. We want to uh, build our hampers side of the business we haven't brought hampers into Sydney in a big way yet, so there's more scope to do that. So I think growing outwards, as well as uh, getting our processes in the right place, so making sure that everything is set up in a, in a good way so that we can kind of replicate that into a new area. So it was very, very eye-opening for us to open in Sydney itself, thinking that we were in a good place to be able to do that, and then realising that, okay, well, we maybe hadn't got the process. This is the way that we, as good as we thought, uh, we've definitely been a lot better at now. We learned a lot of things whilst um, going into Sydney. So now I think uh, we're getting to the point where we're able to say, okay, well, you know, we've got good, really, really good teams behind us and we've got good systems. We're able to build on those and we're able to take those and replicate those uh, perhaps into the Brisbane market, perhaps into Adelaide. I don't think it's not on the cards for this year for uh, for Brisbane. We've still got, uh, still tackling Sydney. Uh, but that's probably the future for us, let's say. And, uh, and it would certainly disrupt the flower industry, which is very much old school. It, very much old school. I think it's still a little bit old school. Uh, yeah, I think we can, by having the systems and making the bespoke uh, technical side of things, we become more efficient. We can deliver flowers in a much more consistent way for the customers with a higher quality and uh yeah the consistency is key for us because i think with the older way of doing things you know if you're trying to when we first started when we were a bricks and mortar store years and years and years ago you know you're printing things out on on paper and you know paper gets lost and yeah it's a bit of a nightmare so uh some florists are still doing that so yeah we wanted to change the game a little bit and uh, be a bit more eco-friendly not have so much paper printed for one but also just make it more streamlined primarily for the customer it's all about the customer experience to us 
again when we when we move from bricks and mortar store the vast majority of florists bricks and mortar florists will be members of um, the likes of big relay companies like Interflora but we made the intentional split from those places because we wanted to control the process for the customer we felt that that wasn't necessarily the way we wanted to go um, with having the relay process even though we could probably intake um, a lot more orders we wanted to do we wanted to take in less orders but do the, those orders at a hundred percent or the way that we felt they should be done so keeping the quality as high as possible well rob it's been fascinating talking to you and uh we'll watch flowers across australia with great interest thank you very much for your time and now let's talk to indeed economist callum pickering callum pickering the latest cpi figures are a bit of a worry coming in at zero percent it means prices did not increase at all in the first three months of the year worse than expected what does it mean yeah, so inflation was fell well short of expectations in the first quarter and has now eased to its lowest level in a, in a couple of years. What it suggests is that the economy isn't travelling as well as many thought that it was. It suggests that um, the economic slowdown that occurred over the second half of 2018 has, has likely continued um, and it's likely to also spill over into the labour market, leading to potentially softer employment figures and, and also an increase in, in the unemployment rate going forward. Why are the figures so low? Well, that's the billion-dollar question, and I think if the RBA had an answer to that, they'd be um, very, very happy right now. Inflation's fallen well short of expectations for a number of years now. It's not just Australia, it's it's worldwide. The US also has a bit of an issue with inflation, where their figures are falling short of expectations just recently as, as, as well. There's a few things going on here. One is that... Australia continues to import low inflation from abroad. Inflation is low pretty much everywhere right now. We also have our wage growth problem. So wage growth is um, only slightly above multi-decade lows, um, and that continues to contribute only a little bit to inflation in Australia. Um, And then there's sort of this great unknown, which a lot of economists and other policymakers are, are talking a lot about, and some believe that it's due to technological change which is um, pushing prices lower and making it hard to to generate economy-wide inflation. So we can sort of address some of the factors that is driving low inflation, but there is sort of a bit of a black box feel to it as well, which policymakers are struggling to deal with. But this is unprecedented, isn't it? It's certainly unprecedented in the the period with which we have economic data. So uh, core inflation, which is the Reserve Bank's preferred measure of inflation, fell to 1.4%. Now, it it touched 1.4% back uh, in 2016. Um, But outside of that period, that's the lowest we've seen inflation in the 50 years that we have reliable inflation data. So we are looking at a situation that we haven't seen before, and we certainly haven't seen a period where inflation has been so low for so long, not just in Australia, but worldwide. Is there any sign of any pressure to bring inflation up to around the Reserve Bank's preferred level of 2%? After the, after the result last week, there's certainly a lot more talk about the Reserve Bank cutting rates to hopefully push inflation a little bit higher. Now, there's certain aspects of this the Reserve Bank is going to struggle with. Because we are importing low inflation from abroad, there's very little the Reserve Bank can do about that. They can't do much about uh, low oil prices, for example, or or, uh, low commodity prices in in other markets as well, which is also contributing to low inflation. 
um, but they can affect some of the domestic factors. So it appears likely that they'll cut rates at least twice this year, um, and they'll hope that that um, boosts economic activity to the extent that uh, unemployment continues to decline and potentially that flows through to to higher wage growth and and other economic activity. Um, The likelihood of that being sufficient to push inflation above the 2% um, target appears unlikely at this stage. Um, And we know from the last five years that the Reserve Bank has struggled to get inflation up to that level. Now, a number of economists, and I believe you're the one who's talked about it too, is the Reserve Bank cutting rates at its next meeting on May the 7th, which is less than two weeks before the election. And uh, I've noticed the market is pricing at something like a 30% probability of that happening. What's your view about that? Yeah, so the market overall is pricing, considers it almost certain that rates will be cut. It's just a matter of when that is. Now, I'm of the opinion that the uh, inflation figures were so undeniably bad that the Reserve Bank should act now rather than delay the inevitable. I don't see the point in waiting till June or July or, or August when we know they're going to cut because of how bad the inflation data is. So I think they should go in May. Um, a lot of economists believe that June or July is a more likely outcome. But either way, it, it certainly appears uh, all but certain that we'll see uh, rate relief sometime this year. And... We, that could see, and you say twice, which could see the rates falling to as low as 1% and possibly beyond that to 0.75%. Uh, that's certainly in the offering. If inflation, if inflation doesn't pick up, if the economy continues to do quite poorly, as it did over the second half of 2018, and if the labour market begins to turn, if unemployment rate begins to pick up, we could see a bit of a spiral effect, which does... Uh, cause the Reserve Bank to have to do a little bit more than they prefer to do. I think at the moment they'd be reasonably okay with going down to 1%. I don't think they really want to go much lower than that. But if the economic data says that they have to, they inevitably will. Um, There's also some talk about unconventional policy and what that could mean for Australia. Uh, When we refer to unconventional policy, we're talking about quantitative easing and the likes that we've seen in the, the US and other countries. As in printing money. Exactly, buying up assets um, in, in financial markets, things of, of that nature. These are things that could become a reality for Australia in the next couple of years if the economy doesn't begin to turn around and if the RBA can't generate the inflation um, that they want to. Which would say that the RBA might be going down the direction of some experimental uh, pathways. Absolutely. We've seen uh, quantitative easing in, in some of these really big economies. We haven't really seen it in a, in a small economy such as Australia. So the RBA could be uh, breaking some new ground in that regards in the next couple of years if things don't turn out the way they anticipate. And what impact would quantitative easing have here? <clears throat> well, it it's, is difficult to say. We know that if it does involve um, purchasing up assets which would likely include mortgages to some extent, that it's likely to boost asset prices, which is what it did overseas. So that would be good for people who have a bit of uh, skin in the game, a bit of money in the markets. Um, They'd certainly be happy. We know that you don't get a lot of bang for your buck with QE, though. Um, And that suggests that the RBA would spend a lot of money, but the overall benefit to the economy wouldn't necessarily be that great. That that was certainly the experience in the US. It only benefited the market, but not the economy 
per se. Yeah, the spillover into the broader economy was much weaker than I think the Federal Reserve would have hoped for when they began with that, that process many years ago. And I think the Reserve Bank would find a very similar thing if they did it here. Um, and given that they might have learned from some of that experience, that's one of the reasons why they might try to do some new things. Uh, what other measures could they take besides quantitative easing? That is a very good question. Um, and look, at, the, at this point in time, it's not really clear. Um, the, the big problem we have is they need to get money from the Reserve Bank to the broader population. Now, it's hard for the Reserve Bank to do that through quantitative easing programs. In an ideal world, they prefer the federal governments and state governments to simply be stimulating the economy, spending big on infrastructure and, and other projects and getting money into the economy that way. If it's left purely to the Reserve Bank, um, then it's going to be very difficult going forward. Um, particularly if they are, if they do begin to experiment with some of these things because they don't know whether they're going to work. It's very interesting this coming at the time of the federal election and uh, you would expect or you would hope one of the parties would come out with platforms to show how they're going to stimulate the economy. Yeah, you'd hate to be a government um, campaigning on the strong economy um, right now, which I think the federal government is doing. I think both parties should be going to the election with a platform that is looking at stimulating the economy, saying, look, we want to be the party that can manage the economy better. And to prove that, this is what we're willing to do. These are the programs we're willing to pursue. This is where we want to get the economy to. At the moment, there is, I think on both sides, there is a willingness to just leave it up to the Reserve Bank. And I think the Reserve Bank has found that they may not have the tools required to get the job done in this case. Too much reliance on the Reserve Bank and not enough on government spending. Absolutely. I think the pursuit of a government surplus, which has been a goal for, for both sides of Parliament ever since the, the GFC, has perhaps been a little bit misguided in this case. And perhaps we should have been willing to take on a little bit more debt to um, stimulate the economy, create more jobs um, and drive wages higher. And if we'd maybe done that, we wouldn't be in this situation right now. Well, it'll be fascinating to watch in the next few weeks as the election unfolds. Absolutely. Well, Callum Pickering, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, Steve. So what's happening in the news? Well, lending to property buyers crept up in March, but at a slightly slower pace than in the previous month, while personal loans continued to fall, statistics from the central bank suggest. The numbers showed overall private sector credit grew 0.3% in March, meeting market expectations and equaling February's result, and that credit for mortgages increased 0.2% compared to the previous month, while credit to business was also up 0.5%, but personal credit fell 0.3%. ANZ Banking Group has met expectations against a difficult operating environment for banks by announcing a 2% rise in cash profit from continuing operations to $3.564 billion. The bank paid $175 million in customer compensation over the half to March 31, or a total of $928 million since 2017. ANZ said the bank was investing in the remediation processes to ensure they were done swiftly and efficiently. ANZ has made provisions for another $533 million worth of customer repayments in the second half, which will include the aligned advisor cohort. Westpac announced a similar provision. 
The bank has shed another 2,221 employees between the previous corresponding half, taking the number of full-time equivalents from 41,580 to 39,359. And a 190-page statement of claim bound for the Federal Court from the Australian Prudential Regulation Authority seeks to have five of IWF's former and current directors and executives banned from acting as superannuation trustees. APRA alleges that IWF broke the law when it sought to fix its mistakes by compensating customers with more than $5 million in funds taken from the members' own reserves instead of penalising itself for the mistake. APRA says raiding the members' reserves demonstrated a failure or unwillingness to understand its obligations. APRA is seeking to ban current IWF directors and executives, including Chief Financial Officer David Coulter, Chief Legal Officer Gary Reardon, and Company Secretary Paul Vine, because they are not fit and proper to act as superannuation guardians and to act as a deterrent. The statement of claim alleges that five men broke laws, including aspects of the Superannuation Industry Supervision Act, that require trustees to act in the best interests of the members, act as a prudent superannuation trustee, and give priority to fund members above all others. APRA claims a firm's dual structure, which allowed it to operate as both owner of the investment arm and trustee for the members, led to a conflict whereby it would on occasion prioritise the profits from the investment arm over the interests of members. And the Small Business Ombudsman has branded the tax officer's use of debt recovery actions against small business excessive and said it is sending small businesses to the wall. A report released by the Ombudsman examines Australian tax officers' practice of utilising garnishee orders against small businesses. Garnishee notices are debt-collecting tools that allow the tax office to order a bank to hand over money from a taxpayer's account without consulting the taxpayer. Their use was exposed in a joint investigation by The Age, Sydney Morning Herald and Four Corners into the alleged unfair treatment and heavy-handed tactics of the ATO in respect of small business taxpayers. Following publication, the Ombudsman received 159 requests for assistance and submissions from small businesses and their advisers, prompting the report. The Ombudsman's report highlights the devastating impact of garnishee notices, which small businesses often only find out when their bank stops honouring payments such as wages, rent, supplies, invoices or loans. Strong forms of debt recovery by the ATO, such as garnishee notices, can destroy small businesses, Ombudsman Kate Carnell said. She said there's a real question as to whether such action is even effective since businesses will not generally have the means to recover from a garnishee order to pay their ongoing tax bills, let alone carry on with their business. The Ombudsman found the tax office issues garnishee notices in at least 12% of cases where tax disputes were before the Administrative Appeals Tribunal and she called for the tax office to immediately cease debt recovery actions against small businesses with a tax dispute before the AAT. An Australian Taxation Office has launched a data matching program to catch cryptocurrency investors who fail to pay the right amount of tax. It is collecting records from the intermediaries who facilitate the purchase and sale of cryptocurrency. It will use these to match the declarations made in people's tax returns. ATO officials estimate there are between 500,000 to a million Australians who have invested in crypto assets. They're concerned about the use of cryptocurrency to move funds within the black economy and hide money offshore. The assets are also linked to unexplained wealth and undeclared taxable capital gains. And Chevron has reported a hit to production in the March quarter from an outage at the Gorgon LNG plant and disruptions due to cyclones, 
while maintenance work will also limit production at the West Australian Venture this year. Chief Executive Mike Worth said that some downtime at one of the three production trains at the US $54 billion, that's $77 billion Aussie, Gorgon LNG plant and slowdowns at Gorgon and US $34 billion Wheatstone plants due to cyclones had reduced production by 29,000 barrels a day in the quarter. And News Corp and Telstra are considering an equity injection of up to $500 million into Foxtel as part of a $2.5 billion refinancing package to help their under-pressure pay TV operator fight back against its dominant streaming rivals Netflix and Stan. The equity injection is one of a number of options being canvassed by News Corp, which controls Foxtel finances from its global headquarters in New York. Other measures being considered include News Corp lending money directly from its own balance sheet to Foxtel. It comes as Foxtel faces significant pressure to turn around its fortunes in the face of competition from streaming businesses such as Netflix and Stan, which is owned by Nine, publisher of the Australian Financial Review, The Age and Sydney Morning Herald. Foxtel was consolidated into News Corp's financial accounts following the completion of the merger of Foxtel and Fox Sports in mid-2018, which changed Foxtel's ownership structure. News Corp now owns 65% of Foxtel, while Telstra owns 35%. Previously, News Corp and Telstra owned Foxtel 50-50, and Fox Sports was wholly owned by News Corp. Higher prices for fresh foods and customer demand for stick-on plastic figurines helped Coles lift same-store supermarket sales by 2.4% in the March quarter. The result, reported on Monday, was in line with analyst forecasts, but is likely to fall short of same-store sales at Woolworths, which are expected to grow 3.3%. Adjusted for the timing of New Year's Eve, same-store food sales rose 2.2%. However, growth appears to be moderating, with same-store sales so far in the June quarter moving towards 1.5% New Year's Eve-adjusted growth delivered in the December quarter, Coles said. Like-for-like sales across super retail group rose 4.3% in the 17 weeks into April 27, buoyed by 4.2% same-source sales growth at at its biggest division, Super Cheap Auto. This was marginally higher than the last trading update in February. This took same-source sales growth at Super Cheap Auto for the year to date to 2.7%. Boating, camping and fishing chain, BCF, which has underperformed in recent years, delivered 5.3% same-source sales growth over the past 17 weeks, down from 8% in the half-year, taking growth for the year to 3.3%. Rebel Sport also performed well, growing same-source sales 4% over the past four months versus 8% in the first half, taking same-source sales for the year to date to 3.5%. And in good use for another retailer, JB Hi-Fi Chief Executive Richard Murray has reaffirmed full-year sales and profit guidance after sales momentum improved at the Good Guys and in New Zealand in the March quarter. Speaking at the Macquarie Australia conference on Tuesday, Mr Murray said same-source sales at JB Hi-Fi Australia stores rose 1.5% in the March quarter, Easter adjusted. This was in line with growth in the December half, but less than half the rate of growth, or 4.3%, in the previous corresponding period, as customers cut back on discretionary spending. Total sales at JB Hi-Fi's Australian stores for the year to date rose 4.1%, compared with 9.8% in the same period last year. In New Zealand, same-source sales rose 4.6%, up from 4.1% in the December half, and a big improvement on the 0.6% decline in the same period last year. And Nine Entertainment said it has sold its regional newspaper and publishing business to former Domain Chief Executive Anthony Catalano for up to $125 million dollars. The newspapers are part of a package that Fairfax had acquired in 2006 for $2.8 billion, a clear sign 
of how newspapers have fallen in value. Australian community media, which Nine inherited when it merged with Fairfax Media in December 2018, includes titles such as the Canberra Times, the Newcastle Herald and Illawarra Mercury. Mr Catalano, with backing from billionaire investor Alex Weislitz's Thorny Investment Group, will pay $115 million for the business. Nine is also set to receive up to $10 million of advertising on ACM properties in the three years following completion of the deal. There are about 170 titles in ACM's regional portfolios, including agricultural titles such as The Land, Stock and Land and Queensland Country Life. An oil refiner, Viva Energy, has issued its third profit warning in five months, advising of a hit to its retail earnings of up to $35 million in the first four months of a year because of squeezed margins on sales of petrol and diesel. Viva said trading conditions this year have been challenging due to recent sharp increases in the oil price, which have put pressure on retail fuel margins. As a result, underlying earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortisation for Viva's retail business have been reduced by $30 million to $35 million in the January-April period, compared with expectations. And Virgin Australia has confirmed it will defer taking delivery of its first Boeing 737 MAX aircraft from November 2019 to July 2021 due to safety concerns. Aside from deferring the first delivery, Virgin is shifting its order to more than 737 MAX 10s and less MAX 8s, Virgin says. This follows last month's Ethiopian Airlines crash and the Lion Air crash in October 2018, which involved Boeing's 737 MAX planes crashing shortly after takeoff and killing hundreds of people on both flights. Like your job? Sadly, it could be automated sooner than you think, according to a new Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development report. About 36% of Aussie jobs could soon be handled by machines, and 14% could disappear altogether in 15 years. The report also found Australia has one of the highest rates of casual workers in the OECD, offering little stability. The report's release comes amid a debate about wages growth and job insecurity during the federal election campaign. And that's it for this week. And next week I'll be talking to Tom Ulhorn, who runs the Melbourne-based customer experience consultancy TinyCX. It has launched the first practical online CX courts, known as CX Academy. And I'll be talking to ComSec economist Craig James, looking at what's ahead for the markets next week. And of course, I'll be bringing you all the week's news. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at TalkingBizBRZ, on Facebook and on LinkedIn. And if you want, leave a comment. Have a great week. Take care, be good, and looking forward to bringing you Talking Business next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.